0: Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts.
1: We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier youth. Hey guys, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us today. If you've found value in this podcast, We would be so thankful if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. We read every single one. That would really help others who could benefit from this content to be able to find this podcast. So today we're in part three of imposter syndrome. So if you haven't already listened to part one and two, definitely go back and listen to that and then join us today as we jump into today's episode.
0: Now we're going to talk about some of the signs that you're struggling with imposter syndrome. So one of them is having severe self-doubt. And so as you could see when we went through the list of the five different types, that every one of them is casting doubt on yourself. And you're always questioning your accomplishments or your relevance or your success. And when you have that level of self-doubt, it causes it to be very anxiety-provoking whenever you're trying to accomplish something because that self-doubt is always weaving in there. Versus imagine having a sense of confidence about that where you're not having to complete a task while simultaneously fight that self-doubt. If you could just remove that self-doubt and have confidence and then just focus on the task at hand, you'd be able to more quickly and in all likelihood do a better job on the thing that you're trying to do without that self-doubt.
1: And that goes into another sign of imposter syndrome, which is self-criticism and downplaying your own performance. And a lot of these things we've already talked about as we talk through the different types. But that severe self-doubt plays into then your self-talk and your self-criticism and that minimizing the positive. When everyone else is telling you, this is what we're seeing, this is who we think you are, you minimize and you say why that's not true. And you stick with your script that you have in your mind, despite the evidence around you that's telling you
0: otherwise. The next one is that you might have a low level of self-worth or value in yourself. And a part of that comes from if you're constantly negatively thinking about yourself or your accomplishments or always diminishing them, you're not going to think you're good or valuable at anything. And I think a part of this comes from this idea of people don't want to present as arrogant. But then what they do in reverse is that then they use this false humility where they're always taking any of their accomplishments and they're always belittling them. But the downside of that, again, is that then you don't feel like you have any value. You're not important. And the words and the way you talk about yourself really have a meaningful impact on what you believe about yourself. And I remember one time, and this was a little bit of a kind of knee-jerk reaction I had. Our kids were in jujitsu. Our son had beaten somebody who he'd never beaten before. And he cheered and was excited and was yelling to us at the sideline about, How he beat him and how excited he was. And internally, as a parent, I cringed, not because I wasn't happy with his accomplishment, but because I was worried about what the parents were thinking or what that other boy was thinking. And I was worried about them feeling bad. And I almost wanted to correct him, but I stopped myself and I thought, well, you know what? He was just excited. I should let him bask in his accomplishment because that helps keep the motivation to keep going, to do the thing that's tough. And he didn't always enjoy doing jujitsu. But in that moment, he was ecstatic, and I wanted to let him feel that feeling. Even though my initial knee-jerk was, oh, I should correct him, I'm worried about what the other people are thinking, or I don't want him to appear to be cocky. But that wasn't what he was doing. He wasn't being cocky. He was being excited and celebratory of his accomplishment. And instead of going with my knee-jerk, I went with my other thought, which is, I'm going to let him have his moment, because he did earn that.
1: And I think I actually had started telling him, To make sure that he's congratulating others. And I had that same feeling and wanting to kind of teach him humility. But you did jump in and you said, No, you know, I think he needs to be able to celebrate and we need to celebrate with him. And we do celebrate with our kids. But I think that I desire so much for him to also understand humility and to not be arrogant that we need to be careful that we aren't stifling his accomplishments.
0: And I think it's a hard line to balance. But again, that arrogance is the idea that, oh, I'm so much better than everybody else. Arrogance is not just talking about your accomplishments and being proud of them. But I think a lot of times it's hard for us to know what the motivation is. So whenever somebody might be talking about their accomplishments, or we ourselves are talking about our accomplishments, we're fearful that it's arrogant. But you have to do an analysis of your heart and think, where is this really stemming from? Am I boasting so that I'll make other people know I'm better than them? or? Am I just excited about or talking about something that I'm good at because I feel good about that? And so really understanding where's the motivation from it is the hairline split that tells you is somebody acting arrogant or is somebody being confident or excited about their accomplishment.
1: And this is actually something that came up when I was doing EMGR last night was that one of the reasons I did struggle with imposter syndrome is not wanting to be overconfident or arrogant. Because I think culturally, being from Hawaii, it really is something that being arrogant and being prideful is really looked down on. And you want to come from a place of humility and teach that to your kids and teach them to be respectful. And so as I was processing and doing EMDR last night, that was one of the things where I never want to seem arrogant and I never want to lift myself up beyond what is true So oftentimes, I ended up doing the opposite, and I swing to the other end of the pendulum. Like Tim was talking about in the beginning, that false humility. And so it's funny because we're reading a book and novel with our kids right now. And one of the quotes in it that we heard today was, now the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. And so Tim and I started talking about how that does relate to imposter syndrome in a sense of self-fulfilling prophecy that with this minimizing or feeling like, okay, I'm just a fake and I'm a fraud and I don't know everything is that by downplaying it and minimizing all of that, you end up accomplishing the very thing you're afraid of.
0: And so then that moves us into the next one, where if you value yourself low, you talk negatively about yourself, then you're going to have a low level of self-confidence. And so when it comes up to trying to do something or trying to accomplish a new task or learn something new you're going to now be fighting against your belief that you're incapable. Because if every accomplishment that you had before, you downgraded for some reason, or you applied this false humility to it, then what you're doing is you're convincing your brain that you weren't really good at anything. And so now you're going to have a low level of confidence in being able to accomplish anything thereafter. And again, it's a delicate balance you have to strike. If you have a tendency to be somebody who tends to struggle with arrogance, you might have to work at curbing and showing a little bit more humility. But I think for a lot of people, because I think the statistics show that about 70% of people struggle with imposter syndrome, more of what most people need is actually to take credit for their accomplishments and be proud of the things that they're doing in order to build up that level of confidence. Because when you have a higher level of confidence, you're more likely to take on additional tasks, or attempt new things. And I think this is a very interesting thing for me. A quick story is before Ruth and I were trained in EMDR, I used to think, oh, I'm a pretty good therapist, but I always remember seeing those doctor shows where they're like arguing about who has the best strategy for solving the patient's problem and things like that. And I never really understood that until I got trained in EMDR, where all of a sudden I was like, oh, I really can solve this problem. It's not like, hey, you know, if there's a couple factors going my way that I think I can be able to help this person. Because after I got trained in EMDR, I was like, oh, I know I can fix that problem. And it wasn't coming from a state of arrogance, but it came from a process of about a year of working with people and watching this technique work time and time again and work to great results that all of a sudden I got this confidence where I was like, I know I can solve that. And it didn't have to come from a place of false humility where it's like, I think I can solve that or I don't want to come across as too arrogant because it wasn't coming from arrogance. It was coming from that confidence level of I've seen it work. I've seen me be able to help somebody in this area and to be able to move out of it. And so then all of a sudden, after I got trained in this and I had this new level of competency, I started to understand that argument that those doctors were having, no, this way, no, this way, because they had confidence because they've been able to do this thing. And I now have this new confidence because I've seen myself do these things. I've seen myself help people with these things. But again, if you're constantly downplaying yourself then you're not going to develop that level of confidence.
1: Right. And it doesn't serve anyone to minimize it and to shrink down when really, if you can walk confidently in whatever God's called you and in your giftings and your skills and your talents, then it inspires others and allows them to see you as a positive example and to hopefully also walk in the calling that God's put on their lives. And so a lot of people, they will shrink down because they don't want to make other people feel insecure, but you're not doing them any favors. And it is like we talked about that balance between not being arrogant, but then not having this false humility.
0: And again, figuring out your baseline is important. What do you tend towards can help you understand what do you need to work more on? Again, if you tend towards more of that false humility where you're constantly down on the mouth about yourself. You need to work at more of being confident and accepting responsibility for your own good actions and for your own accomplishments. But if you do tend towards that arrogance, you do need to be a little more cautious about making sure that you are being humble and not saying things in order to make other people believe you're wonderful, but saying things because it's true and it's relevant to what you're talking about.
1: Another sign of imposter syndrome is overthinking. You are just constantly trying to get things right or making sure no one finds out. And so instead of just being able to live or just being able to speak or do your job, you're constantly overthinking to make sure that you reach this extremely high standard that you've set. And that can be exhausting having to overthink every move of your day because you want to say and do the right thing and the perfect thing. Because of that fear that if you don't, people will find you out, which leads into another sign of imposter syndrome, which is being anxious all the time. It's that fear of being figured out, that fear that people will see through this. And you have that constant anxiety, that constant comparison, the constant worry that you don't know enough and you need to learn more.
0: And so that anxiety really comes from those constant negative thoughts. And as you continue to let those negative thoughts just kind of rain in your life, it causes you to feel more and more anxious because, again, you have low self-value, you have low self-confidence, you're constantly overthinking. And what happens, too, is that your brain is overstimulated, and it continues to think about how you're in danger or you're going to say things wrong, and then that creates this sense or feeling of anxiety. And so those constant thoughts, that high level of insecurity in your own ability because you're constantly down on the mouth about yourself, that overthinking, oh, I need to make sure I say this right or I do this right, all those kinds of things, it exhausts your brain. And then all of a sudden you're worried about everything.
1: And another sign also includes that anxiety where you feel stress and anxiety and shame and depression and guilt. And so all of that could be a sign of imposter syndrome. And the next sign of imposter syndrome is being overachiever. And you can totally see how overthinking things and feeling anxious and depressed and stressed and having severe self-doubt, all these other signs that we mentioned, in order to get away from that, you think, oh, if only I could do more. So then you keep trying to achieve more and more and more. And so you're constantly trying to achieve, which is a sign of imposter syndrome.
0: The last one is self sabotaging their own performance and success. And a part of this, again, is believing that they're not good enough. And this is a really interesting thing where there's a whole lot of psychology behind success and your belief system in your ability to accomplish it. And if you don't believe you're worthy or valuable enough to succeed or to accomplish some goal or task you have set out before you, you may not intentionally do this. But then you're going to sabotage or you're not going to follow through or you're going to do things to a lesser degree so as to follow through with what you believe you deserve. If you believe you deserve failure, you're likely to do little things that are going to cause you to fail. And again, to make sure that this is clear, it's not that you're setting out intentionally to make yourself fail. It's because you have the belief system you deserve to fail that you're going to choose paths that make it more likely that you fail. So believing that you have a path or an ability to succeed in something is very important to, one, even stepping out and even trying to do it. Because if you don't believe you're going to succeed, you may not even step out and try it. Or believing that you could succeed down a path that you've already taken, right? it can give you the extra oomph in order to overcome the difficulties or the barriers that might be in your way. In particular, I remember this one conversation I was having with a coach of mine and this was a number of years ago when I was a swimmer, and I remember I was competing at the national level at this point, and I am not a very large man. I'm fairly short. I'm 5'9". I was the shortest guy on my swim team, and I remember it was the night before the finals, and I was going to be swimming in this event, and I believe I was ranked 5th in this event. And so we had already swum the prelims. I was ranked 5th. I was kind of pretty far behind as far as the first person was. And I remember that night I was talking to my coach and we were talking through this and I was explaining the position I was in and the time frames, And I remember he stopped me and he said, Tim, nobody else believes you can do this, but I do. And having one person stop and tell me, because again, I was a dark horse, I was way outside. There was not a high likelihood I was going to win based on the times as they were. I'd have to drop several seconds and when you're competing at basically the highest level you're able to, dropping several seconds in one event is very unlikely. And I remember just hearing him say that and I was even thinking about telling the story. I was kind of orchestrating it in my mind and I got this tickle in my throat where it just brought back these emotions where it's like, man, he believed I could do it and his belief that I could do it helped me to believe I could do it. And I'll be darned if I didn't do it, if I didn't win that event that next day. Even though it was very unlikely that I would win that based on the position that I was in, I did end up dropping a couple seconds. I did end up touching out the guy who was ranked first by a hundredth of a second. But that belief that he helped instill in me from him saying he believed in me helped me to see that as a possible reality and fight harder for that. But if you don't believe you're going to do that, if you don't believe you could win, You're not going to fight as hard as you could to get there.
1: And there's a really cool picture we have of Tim in that moment where he looks at the clock and he recognizes that he did it and he won. And I love that picture. I didn't know Tim at that time. But when I look at that picture, I see just such joy and pride and accomplishment and really all the effort that he put into that moment. And maybe even a little bit of shock.
0: Oh 100% they were shocked there. I had zero idea I had won until I looked up at the clock. It's a series of photos and there's one where I had just finished. You see the exhaustion on my face and then I'm pulling off my goggles. I look up. My jaw's agate. I'm just looking. I still don't recognize what had happened and then the next photo frame over you just see all of a sudden I just start screaming, like at the top of my lungs, I'm pumping my fist. (laughs) I am just literally overcome with excitement. And if you know me, this is not normally how I am. Normally I'm fairly reserved, you know, like I'm in control of my actions and behaviors, but it was just such a powerful moment where I just almost lost control with excitement from being able to win this. And if you're struggling with that imposter syndrome, It puts this barrier or the ceiling on you where you struggle to be able to feel that exhilaration. And even right now, when you're explaining it, it almost brought tears to my eye because it was the epitome of my accomplishment as an athlete, where I had spent something in the nature of 18 years as a competitive swimmer. And then this is the capstone of my achievement. And so thinking that, oh, it's not such a big deal if I struggle a little bit with This imposter syndrome, but it's a big deal in the sense that it steals your joy. It steals your ability to have happiness and appreciate the success of your accomplishments, right? And that's something, again, that happened approximately 20 years ago now at this point, that still brings up this wonderful feeling of joy and accomplishment and success. And if you're allowing yourself to just roll through life with this imposter syndrome, It's stealing your ability to go back and dip in this reservoir of positive feelings and emotions because you have squashed and squandered those, not intentionally, but because your emotions have caused you to want to discount all of those things. And to be able to have that as a reoccurring thing that you could think about or go back to is a part of something that can help you move away from a feeling of anxiety or depression or low self-value.
1: And I think another perspective of self-sabotage is that fear of success. So sometimes you don't even want to succeed because you're so afraid of that success and what will be required of you if you succeed. And now you're at a higher level of success that there's more fear and anxiety that people will find you out at now this level. And there's more responsibility and weight on you at that point. And so that's something that I actually related to a lot in the past of not wanting to succeed. I don't have necessarily a fear of failure, but I certainly have had a fear of success. Which I think for Tim, that probably blows his mind. Because if he does something, he does it because he wants to succeed at it. Whereas a lot of times, we'll put something out there and I'll think, oh, I hope this doesn't go well. Because if I succeed at it, now there's more responsibility and there's another level And I think you're right that there is also this feeling of I don't deserve the success or if I do succeed, I won't be able to handle it, which for some people, I'm sure that's such a silly thought of not wanting to succeed.
0: And a lot of times, again, these thoughts are not necessarily like overt or you don't say them out loud. But then if you follow the pattern of your thought process, like, oh, gosh, if this happens, then how could I do this or what would I do with that? And it's very funny because in general, you have the thought process of, well, we'll figure it out. But then when it comes to success, at least in the past, before we worked on the imposter syndrome that you were struggling with, right? When it came to success, it was more fearful, like, I don't know if I could figure that out.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I think in crisis situations or when we talk about the future, oh, we'll figure it out. You know, we say that to our kids all the time. But I think when it came to personal success or business success, I feared it because a lot of times I thought, I don't know the process or I don't know the next steps, which when we look at the types, that really does come up as the expert because I don't understand or I don't know the whole process or I don't know the whole next steps. So if we succeed, then they're going to find out at that level that I'm a fraud because I don't know everything about that or I don't know what to do next. And when we were doing EMDR, that actually came up a lot. And I think a part of it too is that spotlight piece. And I think people think, That I like that spotlight. And this goes back to one of the episodes where we were talking about it. And that's when I realized that it's not that I like to be the center of attention, because actually, I really don't. But I do think that that's probably the view that people have when we go to parties. Or a lot of times, I like to gather people and facilitate connection with people. But then I like to bow out of the conversation or I like to not be the center of attention. I don't mind starting things and getting things going. But part of that fear of success is then when you succeed, people are looking at you. And I didn't necessarily want that.
0: Well, I wonder too, if a part of this goes back to the imposter syndrome aspect, where you're fearful of looking arrogant, even though you're not trying to be in the spotlight or the center of attention, you do end up there. And I wonder if it stems from this fear that people will view you as wanting to be in the limelight.
1: Oh, well, I definitely think that that is a big piece. All right, you guys, we're going to stop there with part three of imposter syndrome. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know.
1: Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.